Welcome to The Flipside with Her Black Book, a podcast powered by Samsung Galaxy and presented by Pop Sugar Australia. I'm Julie Stavanya. And I'm Sally Sassi. Together, we're the founders of premium shopping and discovery app, Her Black Book, where you can find a curation of exclusive deals, cashback promotions, and new arrival alerts from all your favorite brands. Our app, Her Black Book, is available for download on iOS and Android now. Every Thursday, we'll be in your ears delivering honest, insightful interviews and action-driven conversations with our diverse lineup of influential guests across business, brands, and technology. We are lifting the lid on the thrills and spills that come with building and working within a tech-driven business. At the end of each episode, we'll deliver our listeners a very special exclusive offer from our Her Black Book brand partners. Lisa Tay is the epitome of an all-rounder. The talented entrepreneur is the co-founder of Lifestyle 101, which is exclusively stocked in Mecca. She's the co-founder of Listnik, a platform that connects business owners with mentors, the editor-in-chief of Lifestyle website Contouring, founder of Web2 digital marketing agency Cody Agency, and her most recent venture is Mooning, a Web3 digital marketing agency. In 2021, Lisa was named in the 40 under 40 most influential Asian Australian list. Lisa joins us now. Welcome, Lisa. Woohoo! Thanks so much for having me. And I'm sorry, I was so bad at technology at the start. Like, I appreciate the patience of getting me on here. You are totally fine. Look, I am going to say that intro has me exhausted. Where do you find the time to do all of that? I have an amazing team. Like, I'm honestly... As you saw this morning, just trying to log on to do a podcast, I'm a mess. So (laughs) I love, I love creating things. I love digital. Like I'm actually obsessed with digital as we were touching on before. I love shopping as well. Um, (laughs) Spend way too long shopping, but I I genuinely don't feel like it's work. So I, you know, I came from a tax background, which we might touch on today. And I really felt like that was a job. Whereas everything I do today, I just feel fortunate to be able to have found something that I'm really passionate about. So um, yeah, shout out to my amazing team. Like, honestly, I would not be where I am or being able to do what I am today without them. Look, four different companies, as well as hosting your own podcast and a book author, uh, besides your team, how do you manage it all? I definitely try and maximize my time. So I think a big part of what I need to do in my job is to stay up to date with what's happening in the world, especially, and we'll touch on this today, Web3. It's like honestly a rabbit hole. Like once you go in, it's like you don't even know what's going on most of the time because things are changing so rapidly. So pretty much from the moment I wake up, I'm consuming content. So I love listening to podcasts. I I listen on double speed so I can listen to more content in a day. I'm like reading the news constantly, seeing what's happening. I'm on social media. Um, I try and exercise first thing every morning early. So I get up, go to probably like a six o'clock or, you know, like a 6.30 class. And then I just try and get straight into work. So I would definitely say that I'm quite unfocused. Um, I, I'm always <laughs> trying to do a million different tasks at the one time. I'm not someone who can sit there with deep, you know, doing deep work. So to-do list definitely helps um, from that perspective. But uh, I try and where possible just maximize my actual work day. So uh, little things like even just planning my outfits ahead for the week, it sounds so stupid, but 
I have so um, many black dresses, for example. So sometimes if I don't plan it, I'll be looking at my wardrobe going, what do I wear? And it can take me like half an hour just to work it out. So I have these little hacks that I've developed over time that will allow me just to get moving quickly in my day. Then once I get into work, I just keep working um, we, solidly. We absolutely love hacks. You mentioned one of them uh, being uh, pre-planning your wardrobe for the week. What are some other yeah. quick hacks to you know make yourself so efficient during the week? Ooh, I would say that I always do my to-do list the day before. So what I do is I find that I sit down at the end of every day and go, what do I need to do for tomorrow? So I already can start working straight away. And Mm -hmm. I always try and get some quick wins off the board just so I can make sure I feel like I'm actually achieving something. Um, One thing that I do like to do is I try not to check my email because I'm very active on social. So I try not to check my email until I've actually done a post on LinkedIn, for example, or social media, because once I actually check my emails, I just get into this habit of working. So I actually try not to even check my emails when I'm at home because otherwise it takes me a long time to actually leave the house so I usually try and sit down and check my emails because otherwise you know when you wake up if you look on your email straight away you're like I need to respond to this I need to start doing this oh my god then your brain just starts working so those little things help me actually get out the door quicker and you're juggling so many different companies how do you split your time amongst them Ooh, so I would say that in terms of the two digital agencies that I run, uh, those kind of go hand in hand because I'm talking to people about Web 2 and Web 3 generally uh, at the same time. So that kind of makes it a lot easier. And then with 101, that's kind of just ticking along on its own. So that's really easy. And then with Listing, we generally do a huddle first thing every morning and then the team know what they need to action. So um, from that perspective, I sort of in my head... I don't know, my day kind of feels like a mess, but when I reflect back onto it, I sort of have different parts of the day segmented out so I can focus on different things. So I'm guessing your companies all kind of work from the same office. Is that right? You're not jetting around town for half the day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, no. We we all work from the same office, which definitely makes it significantly easier. Because one thing that I'm sure all of us noticed in um, the pandemic is how much time you can actually, I don't want to say waste, but you can lose a lot of time in transit. So Mm -hmm. even, you know, just doing meetings now via Zoom, it makes it so much easier because I'm not losing so much time in transit. Uh, you know, being able to just work remotely um, where I need to helps as well. Um, but I have to say nothing beats actually being in the office around the team. So at the moment with Mooning, we're in full time because obviously it's a new startup and we're trying to work out what on earth is going on in the space. So it helps when you just around other people and we can move really quickly. Um, but with my other companies, we've gone to hybrid. So it's, it's, it's interesting, an interesting mix, but yeah, it can't beat being in the office. You're obviously able to split your focus between all of these very different uh, concepts and uh, companies. Do you have team members that are doing the same, that kind of like do part of their time here and part of the time on, you know, your toothpaste brand? No, I actually have very specific people just working in each of the different companies. And that was actually a conscious effort when I started Mooning because I've obviously got a digital marketing agency and people actually said to me, why don't you just add on Web3 into Cody? And to work in Web3, you have to be obsessed with it. Like you have to love it and be immersed in the space because it's moving faster than I've ever seen any digital um, marketing or any, almost like anything move before in the tech space. So if you're not looking at it every single day, if you're not actively potentially investing in NFTs, buying crypto, uh, you know, venturing to the metaverse, it's really hard for you to stay up to date with what's going on. So I wanted to do something quite separate and hire people that actually live and breathe the space because that's what you need to be successful. So you mentioned Web 2 and Web 3. For our listeners that might not be up to speed with that, can you tell us a bit about the difference? 
Yes. So um, how long do we have? I could literally talk about this for hours, but I won't. I won't. I'll just I'll condense it down. So I always say that in order to understand what Web3 is, you have to take it back all the way to Web1. So I'm going to expose myself here because I was like around during the dial-up days of the internet, which this generation will never know the challenges. I remember downloading oh, I remember. a song. <laughs> how slow was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, sound, the sounds. I won't even imitate them because they were so bad, but uh, I remember downloading downloading a song going oh my god it's only gonna take 20 minutes so fast <laughs> and now it's so, like you know for if, if a page doesn't load in a couple of seconds you're like the whole internet's broken like what's going on <laughs> uh, so we think of web one as being the read form of the internet so that was when you or as an everyday person you couldn't really share content on the internet you could consume it at scale but you had to really know coding to actually share content on say websites and things like that so we we refer to web one as the read form of the internet. Now, if we fast forward to Web 2, that was when the dawn of social media happened. So you've got companies like Instagram taking off, Facebook taking off, and then big platforms like um, you know, TikTok, LinkedIn, and they made it really easy for the everyday person to share content. So uh, you, know, you can easily pick up your phone, uh, take a photo, and then post content. So we refer to Web 2 as the read-write form of the internet. Now, the interesting thing that uh, Web 2 gave rise to is the um, content of influencers. So prior to Web2, only celebrities were getting brand deals. Whereas you fast forward to the time of social media, which is really now, influencers and like the everyday people could form a following just by sharing content. Mm. And I don't know why people are so snoopy. Like we're all so voyeuristic. We love looking at what everyone else is doing and following people. So influencers suddenly became, you know, everyday person suddenly became very influential and could influence buying decisions. So that was another big shift that we saw in web two. Uh, and then also referring back to the big social platforms, uh, they actually made a lot of power or made a lot of money by monetizing the um, data or monetizing effectively mm -hmm. um, the audience. So that was a really centralized way of doing business, you know, to be transparent. They have a lot of power because we all use the platforms and they effectively can control um, what we see and what we do on them, which is a little bit scary when you start to really drill down into it. So we're pretty much now at the dawn of what is referred to as Web3, which is the next iteration of the internet. So that's when you're going to see blockchain technology effectively become the economic layer that underpins the internet. And don't worry, I promise I won't make this sound really boring. <laughs> but, but blockchain technology is at the heart of it. If you just drill right down to its basics, it's just a digital ledger. So when you actually put something on blockchain, like a crypto transaction or an NFT, it's what we call immutable, i.e. it can't be changed. So it's super powerful when you start to think of all the different use cases. But we're now at the dawn of Web3. So what we're going to see from there, and we call this the read-write-own uh, aspect of the internet or, or um, style of internet because there's going to be a lot of ownership return back to people uh, so and creators. So people will now be able to own assets and I use um, gaming as a great example. So if you play games, mm -hmm. then you actually don't own your characters, you don't own your weapons and things like that. So you're investing a lot of time and then if you stop playing, all of a sudden you've just spent, you know, 200 hours playing World of Warcraft and you've got nothing to really show for it. Whereas in, if you look at gaming in Web3, you actually own those characters that you build up. So then you can then sell it to someone else. So you all of a sudden start to get a lot more ownership. So how can Web3 actually work for brands? 
oh my God, this is like a really, um, okay. Because I can There's get so how it'll work for my husband. He'll definitely want to, uh, you know, keep his characters. But in terms of brands, how actually can it work for them? This is like uh, honestly a massive rabbit hole. So um, I'm going to just try and keep the answer to less than like five hours. Uh, but <laughs> so if you look at technology like NFTs, so um, and I think probably the best way to explain, firstly, do you want me to explain what an NFT is? Because I feel like some people might not understand. In a nutshell, let's get the, yeah. Okay, great. So an NFT stands for non-fungible token and it effectively is, uh, I like to say it's like the unique um, representation of ownership of something. So that could be uh, access to a community. It could be an object. And I'll give you a couple of ex examples. So there's a company called Blockbar, which mm -hmm. is an alcohol company. It sells premium alcohol and it's backed by NFTs. So if you buy the NFT, you then own the alcohol that associates with it. And the benefit of that is firstly, it's proof of provenance. So it shows the authenticity of the actual product and who owns it. And if you want to trade it later on, you can just trade it as an NFT on the platform. And it means that you can just quickly list it and then someone can buy the NFT and then you can um, you know, give them the uh, access to the product. Mm -hmm. So that's like one, one way a brand could use it. Another way is to actually crowdsource. So I'm going to use Gary Vaynerchuk. He's a massive marketing mm -hmm. person. Yeah. So he actually created an NFT for his restaurant Fly Fish Club in New York. Now he sold NFTs, two tiers of membership, one for $12,000, one for $25,000. This just gave you the ability to actually reserve a table. You didn't get any food or anything like that. Wow. But Exactly. And he raised millions of dollars and the restaurant hasn't even been built yet. So he actually used those NFTs to fund the build of the restaurant. So it's like a new age way of funding. So that's a really great way to actually raise money if you're a brand for something that doesn't actually exist yet. So that's another different way that brands can use it. It's a bit like a... Um a new version of, you know, Kickstarter, but you feel like you've, you've already had the ownership before that product gets launched. A hundred percent. And brands can use it as a part of their loyalty program. So for example, they can sell NFTs and then NFT holders can get exclusive benefits. So they might get access to events. They might get access to uh, exclusive merchandise, exclusive experiences. You get access by holding those NFTs. So it's almost like a membership pass in that particular case. Do you think there's some risk with, obviously everyone sees this as an opportunity and lots of people are doing it. Does it get to a point where the market is so saturated and the consumer is saying, like, I can't have memberships in everything? Because I feel that way with, say, new subscriptions. I've got, I'm following all these different, you know, kind of threads and I have to subscribe to them all and I understand they need to monetize. But now I'm really about, okay, who am I going to choose to spend my money with? Because I just cannot have 50 new subscriptions. Yes. And that's actually a very good point because the, like I've been around since pretty much the dawn of social media, um, showing my age again. But <laughs> I, I noticed, because people always call social media and web too social media, when it, if you actually really drill down, it's really actually media because a lot of brands don't actually engage with their community and the community members of the brands don't engage with each other. What I mean by that is you might have a company like Nike post a photo of Air Force Ones on their Instagram and then people like, you know, all of us might jump on and go, oh my God, dead for these shoes, need them in every colour someone might jump on and go, oh, where, where can I buy these shoes? Mm. And the brand will actually rarely respond. So it's not a two-way dialogue. Plus the actual followers in the community rarely communicate with each other. So I think of 
actually social media and web two as just media. I moved to web three. It's honestly, the audience is so needy. It's like next level attention <laughs> is required for brands. So if you want to be successful in, in web three, you need to be consistently talking to your audience every single day. Otherwise, no joke, they think you're dead. So <laughs> that's where we're, we're seeing the rise of platforms like Discord and Twitter become the social media platforms of choice for web three, because it allows for more of that conversation style function and why I bring that up is because if you are in various NFT projects then you're probably going to be most active in the ones where the community is hyper engaged because you're going to understand from the founders directly what the roadmap is for the project the latest updates on the project you're going to feel like you're part of that process and you feel like the rest of the community is on board and really excited whereas if you release an nft and you don't keep your community engaged the discord will die off or the social will die off and people will quickly lose interest or think it's just a cash grab so the projects that are going to be successful are the ones that actually invest to build hyper engaged communities and that's actually, uh, you know, I think brands might be a little bit scared because they think, oh my God, does that mean I need to sit in Discord 24-7 or sit on Twitter 24-7? And the exciting thing about Web3 is that the community members themselves are actually taking that conversation burden off the brands by becoming moderators in things like Discord. And they're almost becoming like the face of the brands and ambassadors for the brands, which wouldn't have happened in Web2 because the brands are the ones just representing themselves. So it's quite a unique opportunity for brands to actually build a hyper-engaged audience like wasn't actually possible in Web 2. The flip side with Her Black Book is brought to you by the new Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 4 and Z Flip 4. It's time to unfold your world. Available now at samsung.com. Fascinating, like winding things right back, Lisa. When um, we're talking to you and just having a chat, being an entrepreneur and being in business, I can feel it in your veins. What I want to know is you actually started your career um, as an actual tax lawyer. For the people listening in, how did you go from having a career as a tax lawyer through to taking the leap of faith into becoming an entrepreneur? I honestly like to try and wipe that whole tax career from my memory <laughs> like a black hole. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't that bad. Um, so when I was at uni, I watched a lot of Law and Order, and so I oh thought, Oh my that- god, we're soul sisters! <laughs> yes, I love me some Law and Order. <laughs> but seriously though, why do women love crime so much? It's actually <laughs> okay. <quite> cons- <laughs> Sally literally is your soul sister. I am. Um, oh really? Yeah. yeah. This is a, a chat with going to take offline after but I am obsessed <laughs> people don't understand why because I, I listen to crime podcasts and crime stories to um to relax and people are like are you joking and talking about people getting bludgeoned to death I, I know, like, am it's the same s- sickening <laughs> um so so yeah I ended up going to tax law and I just thought it was going to be exciting and fun but it wasn't uh so I started my career actually at KPMG and I look back now and it was definitely a great founding because uh, you know you're working one of the big um, big four accounting firms. So you get to learn a lot about how important brand is. Uh, you get to develop soft skills like report writing, um, data analysis, presentation skills. So I definitely don't regret, um, you know, working in tax because I feel like it's taught me a lot, but I was never passionate about it. So mm-hmm. I was pretty much counting down to five o'clock every single day. So for me, the time was either five o'clock or not five o'clock. And I was really <laughs> just, um, to be honest, like it was really bad for my mental health. Like I was not happy 
happy at all. I felt like I was just probably a really negative person to be around. And so I started looking for a creative outlet and that's when I discovered blogging. So I started uh, my first blog, God, it was like probably 2010, like a long time ago. And then I actually ended up starting a fashion, beauty and lifestyle website called Couturing, which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And that really gave me a chance to consume content and share stories of people in the fashion, beauty and lifestyle space, which I, for me, I always find super inspiring. And then from there, that was when social media first started kicking off. So I got into the digital space and fell in love with social and the ability to share content and connect with others and consume content at scale. And so I really just became almost like, I almost had like a double life. So I would go to my tax job during the day and then at night I'd literally go into my car get changed in my car and then go to events um, at night. So it felt like I was, you know, living like, not like Superman, but, you know, doing like that double life. And then that actually allowed me to uh, transition careers into witchery. So I ended up working in their marketing team. And it was funny because when I went for a job there, I knew I was not qualified at all. So I did this crazy seven page resume where I, you know, tried to get super creative, uh, you know, put together, like I actually... I can't use Photoshop, so I did this in paint. Um, so I'm really proud of myself. Uh, but I Photoshop on the last slide, the last page was something like, thanks for interviewing me for hashtag best job ever. And I did it like a tweet. And I look back now, I'm like, that is so cringe. Um, it's really embarrassing. And then my boss at the time said, I, we just had to bring you in because your application was so weird, like was so random, <laughs> so different. And as a as an employee t- uh, employer today, I can say that if you want to stand out, it's actually not that hard because most resumes that I receive are actually pretty boring. So if you're going for a creative job, make sure you have a creative resume. Absolutely. That is one thing I couldn't agree with more is that especially if someone is thinking about applying for a role that is in the creative space, graphic designer, whatever it might be, putting in an application that visually stands out. And people don't realise the volume of applications that you get. Like if you're going through 30, 50, 70 applications, you are kind of like really glazed over, your eyes are glazed over and you're just like you want some inspiration. So it really does. It does help. I'm glad oh, that helped 100%. you in your case and got you the job at Witchery, obviously. Yes. So I actually, when I went in there, I decided to go get on the front foot. So I mocked up this actual, it was the role was to work in the marketing team to manage the loyalty program. So I mocked up this version in paint again, shout out paint, <laughs> um, <laughs> Witchery magazine. And I said, this is what I would love to, uh, you know, show your members and create for your members. But I, I remember actually distinctly when I went in there, I wanted to take control of the interview straight away. And I said you know, um, I know that we're also going to talk about my background and why I think I should, you know, get the job. But what I wanted to do is actually show you what I would do if I got the job. And then I showed the magazine and in the end, I actually get, ended up getting the job. So that allowed me to really see, uh, uh, you know, the business world through the lens of marketing, which I mm-hmm. fell in love with. And then I started my first agency in 2007. Um, and yeah, I just really honestly fell in love with the pace of agency because it's super fast. So, Which is pretty impressive. So you've gone from um, being a tax lawyer through to a marketing role in witchery to also working with one of the co-founders of Netflix. Tell me about that. 
Yeah. So uh, sometimes I feel like it's just so weird and I can't believe this is my life, but I love listening to content. So I actually, I don't really like business books because they're really boring. (laughs) (laughs) And so I saw that he released his book uh, called That Will Never Work. So that's Mark Randolph. Sorry, Uh, Mark Mark Randolph. Randolph. Yeah. He's a legend. So if you haven't read his book, That Will Never Work, definitely check it out. And the reason why I actually thought, oh, this could be interesting was he was actually telling the story of Netflix and how he started Netflix, but he was sharing business lessons along the way. So I actually listened to it because he was narrating. It was the first audiobook I listened to and I loved it. So when I share content on LinkedIn, I always, or as I'm consuming content, I always take notes in my phone just to give me some ideas of what content to share. So I had a couple of little quotes from him and then I shared a post on LinkedIn, just tagging him saying, I just read this great book. Here's a key lesson. And then he liked it on LinkedIn. And I was like, oh my God, this is so freaking exciting. We're best friends now. And then um, the next week I did another post and I tagged him and he liked it again. And then I don't know what possessed me, but I just DM'd him and just slid into those DMs. Um, Nothing inappropriate. (laughs) And then I just messaged him and said, would love to, loved your book, uh, would love to interview you. And then I didn't even have a podcast at the time. I don't even know what I was doing. Uh, But interview uh, ended up, um, we were trying to make it work because he was coming out to Australia, I didn't realise. So he looked me with his PR and then we couldn't make it work and then I just harassed him when he went back to the States and then he's like fine we can do an interview via <laughs> Zoom and then because this was like the time before the pandemic so people weren't really doing things via Zoom it's like so common these days but back mm. then it wasn't and then we did the interview he was an absolute legend and then uh, we I always message people after interviews say thanks for your time and then um, I followed him on social and I would just then randomly if I see a post and I can't switch this part of my brain off I just critically analyze social media as I'm consuming it because I look at it through the like the lens of a marketer and I would just randomly send him messages going hey love this post um it's not best practice if you want to do best practice it's this 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 I love that (laughs) without expecting anything more just to help out and he was so lovely because he loves learning and he's got no ego so he just loves information and then he randomly just said to me um actually can you um would you consider uh, pitching to manage my socials, uh, his personal socials. And I was like, shit, yeah, like definitely. <laughs> I was trying to be really calm, of course. <laughs> uh, and then so we ended up pitching and we won um, the pitch. So we've been working with him for a couple of years now. and That is so cool. I love incredible. the fact, Lisa, that, you know, from that, you really put yourself out there. Like it's, you don't have all the answers. It's almost like that mentality of um, an entrepreneur will jump off a cliff, and, a cliff and, you know, build the plane on the way down. And with all so of those, true. it sounds as though you very much do that. You put yourself out there and you'll figure it out along the way. Um, in regards to getting yourself these great opportunities, tell me, how did you get into a milkshake sculling competition <laughs> with Gary V? <laughs> Oh, I, okay. So Gary V, if you, if you guys are anyone who doesn't follow him, he's a legend. So his full name's Gary Vaynerchuk. He's amazing with marketing, produces like a hundred pieces of content a day. And so he's going around the world doing a million interviews. So I thought, you know what, if I'm going to do something and I'm sure that he does just sit down interviews all the time. So I thought, let's do something a little bit more fun. So he was coming out to Australia. So I got to interview him in person. And so I thought, let's get a whole lot of random Australian ingredients. And as I'm doing the actual interview, you, I'll make a milkshake with Australian ingredients. And so it had things like Big M, like, I don't even know, I think it was like Tim Tams, Vegemite, 
King Island dairy cheese. It was actually disgusting. Was like, mm, sounds delicious. <laughs> this is a competition it, you did not want to win. <laughs> it was so foul because I'm really competitive at the end. I go, how about we skull it? And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's do that. And so he sculled it and he absolutely smashed me. I pretty much almost vomited because it tasted so foul. Um, but it was just for me, I always think about how to make content interesting because there's so much noise in the space. So I sort of figure if I can stand out by doing content in a different way, then that's going to help my content get seen by more people. And so, for example, when I started posting on LinkedIn in 2019, there was so much dry business content. And, you know, as a woman in business as well, like I, when I started posting, I thought, do I need to wear a stuffy suit and a Mm. shirt and like have it buttoned up to here? Because there's so much judgment for women in business anyway. And then when you add on that we're judged on how we look, how we dress, all those things, I just thought, shit, do I ever want to put myself out there to get judged? Because I'm pretty confident I'm probably going to get people commenting about what I'm wearing. And I just thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this authentically and do it like me. So, you know, you can probably tell, like, I don't take myself too seriously. I love, we've already spoken about our love for shopping. I love fashion. And I just thought, I'm just going to wear whatever I want to do. And I don't give a shit, like, what anyone says or think. And um, it's honestly, it's been amazing for me just posting on a platform that, I can just be myself on because Instagram I feel like is so curated Mm. and so filtered whereas LinkedIn I feel like you can be a lot more raw and I've been super lucky that I pretty much haven't really had any comments about you know I mean like obviously there's a lot of thirsty guys on there Um, (laughs) but I think but I think actually one of the most interesting thing is the people that comment about what I'm wearing and if they and I've not had that many over the years but if they've said oh I don't know if that's right for business it's actually women and I'm like really like it's, it's so disappointing. I'm like, no, like guys actually don't care. Women always go, oh, I don't know if I would wear that. I'm like, oh, well, that's not your choice. It's For mine. the record, Lisa, <laughs> I became a fangirl of yours through LinkedIn. So I oh. am there cheering you on. I love your posts. Oh, um, you. I think it actually brought quite a bit of life to the LinkedIn platform because, like you said, it is, you know, can tend it to be sure quite professional does. and dry. <laughs> and um, what I love is that we've moved into this era where, you know, you are one of those, like, leaders that are pioneering being your authentic self. Like, there's really been a shift in the movement, which I think has um, enabled that a lot more over the last, you know, kind of few years. Um, I think that's really great that the world has, has moved. And it is thanks to people like yourself who are brave enough to actually go, I'm still professional, I'm incredibly smart, I'm incredibly accomplished, and I can dress however I want. So um, love that change. Now, you're obviously a marketing expert. You've shared many examples, you know, through this chat already with us, but you've traditionally been in the online space with your agencies, and you have actually gone and launched a physical product, which is the world's sexiest toothpaste brand, uh, Lifestyle 101, or 101 Lifestyle, sorry. So tell us about that. Was that like an experiment or did you see an opportunity and you're like, I'm going to do this? And it's going to sound so stupid, I guess, but I grew up with Instagram and taking photos and I would take photos of my bathroom and then I'd look at the bathroom and go, oh my God, the toothpaste and mouthwash stuff is so ugly and the toothbrush is so ugly because it, everything's fluoro. I'm like, yeah. why is it so daggy? And then, and you can probably see in my background, like I love black and white. My whole house is black and white. And I thought, why is there no beautiful uh, toothpaste? And for me, my my morning and nighttime routines almost like a great way to meditate because I can't Mm. meditate like I actually find it very difficult uh, with (laughs) meditating so um, it's actually funny this um, meditation person I expert I know she was saying you can do active meditation and I'm like like shopping and she goes yeah like shopping I was like (laughs) 
this is just another great excuse to go shopping. <laughs> I like her. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I love that ritual of doing my skincare, doing my makeup or, you know, doing my skincare at night. And so for me, almost like that beauty process is a ritual. So I wanted to create something where I would enjoy using the products because they look beautiful and I knew that they were natural. And so my partner and I started looking into creating a toothpaste and uh, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, I think most of the things I do in life, I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> I just sort of go in and, and like you said, Sally, like you've just built the plane on the, the way down. So we made like a million mistakes, um, but it was actually just a fun, we were just reflecting on it um, the other day. And, uh, you know, my partner Saul, he was just saying how like, it was just such a fun thing to do together and like a project where we had that common goal and we could focus on building something. And then we were so fortunate because we got into Mecca because um, we were quite different at the time. Like there wasn't really anything in that space. And now I think there's a few more different brands creating some, you know, sexy toothpaste. But at the time we were quite new and we were really pushing that natural element as well. There wasn't that many good natural um, toothpaste at the time because if you think about it, you're putting it in your mouth. So mm. it's like, you, once you actually realise how many chemicals are in toothpaste, it's actually like pretty gross to think you're just putting all these chemicals in your mouth. So we wanted something really natural and luckily charcoal's been a natural product for um, whitening um, your teeth for a long time. So it worked out perfectly that it was black. So yeah, so yeah, lots of fun. I definitely, um, look, I definitely can say it was like a bit of a journey because we didn't know what we were doing, but it's, that's like, I think when you learn the most, most. about yourself and you learn, yeah, definitely you mentioned you um, new skills. working with your husband. Tell <laughs> us a few quick tips on how you keep your marriage intact. Oh. <laughs> communication he's very patient with me I will say we, we definitely have um differing personalities I mean you guys would know like when you're working together it's I think it can be very beneficial if you have different personalities because mm -hmm. yeah. you bring different skills to the table so but for me I think the biggest learning is communication and having clear tasks otherwise if there's gray and overlap then you're like are you doing that thing or are you doing that thing or are you gonna do it and then you just no one ends up doing it so I think if you can make sure that each person has a really clear role and you're communicating and I almost feel like in some respects it's almost easier to work with your partner because like you can just yell at them if you're annoyed <laughs> but you can't really ye yell at someone who's not your partner or related to you without like getting into some HR problems yeah. or you can make them sleep <laughs> on the couch that night like either way you work it out <laughs> definitely definitely uh, but it was definitely a fun thing to do together and then we got to travel to Sydney for the Mecca um, showcase where we got to meet media and that was really fun so um, it was actually funny on that I distinctly remember we got our samples um, for that that um, media showcase and because we were using black, uh, the first run actually had uh, crimping. So it has crimping at the top, but the crimping didn't work very well. And so there were all these white cracks. So we were like running around Sydney, going to office works, trying to find like permanent marketing oh. so we could colour <laughs> at the top. I'm like, this is so stressful. Uh, looking back now, I can laugh. But at the time I was like, oh my God, what are we doing? But I actually often find that, uh, you know, if you can, because, and this is like, I think a thing with leadership, like if you can just stay calm when the shit's hitting the fan, then you're always going to get through the situation uh, a lot quicker. Because like even yesterday, I locked us out of the house. Uh, we're staying in a friend's house. So I locked us out of the house. And I was just like, uh, like I could just get stressed out or we could just find a way to 
you know, get into the house without breaking any windows. And so <laughs> turn and it into an adventure. Car. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. I often find that the most stressful things, it doesn't help at the time because things are still stressful, but the things that are the most stressful once you get through them are the things that you look back on sometimes the most fondly. Like, you know, mm. Sally and I through some yes. of our Star Runner days, oh, my God, those early days were chaotic and we got no sleep and we literally did like an all-nighter one day, 36 hours straight. And that was hell at the time. We could not stop. We had a deadline with la, la, la. But now we look back on it and laugh, you know, even with those team members that were there with us. Um, so it's kind of fun. Today we've got an exclusive offer from Her Black Book brand partner, Bang & Body. From now until midnight this Sunday, listeners can get 15% off site-wide at Bang & Body via the Her Black Book app. To access the code, download Her Black Book on iOS or Android now. Now, Lisa, just when we thought you've done it all, I need to know about in 2020, you ran for Deputy Lord Mayor of Melbourne. <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> I was like, what, she gonna, what have I done? <laughs> I think so. Um, I mean, for anyone that knows me, I don't know anything about politics. Like, it's actually embarrassing. Um, and I, I actually do feel... I actually do regret that I haven't invested more time into learning about who's shaping our nation. And I don't know if it's just because I have this perception that politicians don't really do anything or don't really care about people. I think I've just sort of really disengaged. So when I had the opportunity, which came about actually because I was posting on LinkedIn to run for Deputy Lord Mayor of Melbourne, I was like, you know what? This is my chance to actually help businesses because this was the height of the pandemic. So I was in Melbourne, which was I think the most locked down city in the world. I was talking to clients. I was talking to business owners. I was, uh, you know, seeing the hurt that the business owners were going through, um, especially, you know, through social media because we weren't going out as normal. And I thought I can just sit here and whinge about the government being shit or I can actually put up my hand and go, I, I'm willing to do something about it. And, you know, I think as a woman, um, especially as well, like politics is obviously very male dominated. I thought this is a chance to also be I don't want to say younger voice because I'm not young anymore, but at least a female voice in the space, um, you know, someone of a different cultural background. So that was a very interesting process. Um, I would say that I probably wouldn't run again because I don't, I don't know, it's it's very negative. Politics mm. is honestly, I think it's really lost its way uh, and it becomes more about tearing down the other people than focusing on what you're actually doing it for and that's actually to serve the people. So, you know, I think that, I, looking back now, I'm so glad I did it. I met some amazing people. I learned a lot about the industry. I learned a lot about politics. I learned a lot about um, putting yourself out there, how to deal with feedback um, on a public scale. But I would say that I feel like I can achieve a lot more for the community on the outside because politics, obviously, it's kind of exactly like what it sounds like. It's hard to do anything because there's so many different competing voices in the space and not all of them, I think, are there for the greater good, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, glad I did it. Um, you know, who knows? Look, Kanye ran for, what, President of the United States with zero experience. So maybe I'll run for Prime Minister of Australia next. Maybe that's my next foray if I want to do it again. You'll that's what's next for Lisa Tay. I love that. We are going to go into some quick fire questions. Are you ready for these? Ooh, I'm ready. Ready. Okay. Now, we know you have the same thing for breakfast every day. What is it? Oh, I have a smoothie every morning. So I make one uh, and then, yeah, I just try and put in as much healthy stuff that's in the fridge as possible and then quickly run out the door. <laughs> what was your last Lux purchase? 
oh no, don't expose me here. <laughs> my husband doesn't think I shop at all. Like if my husband's listening, nothing. I haven't bought anything for 20 years. Um, <laughs> if, he's, if he's tuning out, um, I would say a Tony Matuszewski dress. So he actually, he's... His craftsmanship is incredible. I feel like he can make for so many different body types. And I was so lucky because when I first started out, I ended up interviewing him and then I ended up working with him and then he made my wedding dress. So we actually eloped in um, Paris and it was like a couple of weeks before I said, can you please make me a dress? And then I stuffed it into my suitcase and then I pulled it out. Like, look fantastic. I was like, yeah, you're a gun. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Instagram or TikTok? TikTok, I would say currently. Yep. Biggest, TikTok for consuming content, Instagram for sharing. Biggest pet peeve? <sighs> Rude people. I would say it's it's free to yes. say thank you, so do it. Yeah. <laughs> Any bad habits? Using my phone before bed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really need to stop doing that because it's hard to sleep sometimes. But, yeah, I'd say that's definitely up there. I'm shopping too much. Or is that a bad habit or is that just a skill? That's a skill, <laughs> honey. That's a skill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like to think so. <laughs> heels or sneakers? Oh, Heels. I feel bad because you guys created Style Runner, so I'm like, I should say sneakers. <laughs> if I'm going sneakers, I say Nikes. <laughs> well, don't worry. We love our heels. If you had to get a tattoo today, what would it be? Hmm. That's a good question. Maybe my dog. My dog's face. <laughs> so, <laughs> so unexpected. I love my dog. <laughs> Lisa Tay, thank you so much for being with us. You've been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And can I say, as a female in tech, what you guys are creating with this podcast is amazing because I know that every time I've gone to events, especially tech events, I'm like, where are all the females at? Like, it's actually quite scary. So, you know, I think what you're doing with the flip side is incredible. And I'm excited to listen to all the other episodes. And I'm sure they won't have as many tech problems as me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so Thanks, Lisa. much. That wraps up this episode of The Flip Side with Her Black Book, powered by Samsung Galaxy and presented by Pop Sugar Australia. Don't forget to download the Her Black Book app to discover more from your favourite brands. Thanks so much for tuning in.